impact, income, and influence. It's the three things that are most important to entrepreneurs today, and that's what this podcast is all about. If you're a coach, consultant, author, blogger, YouTuber, creator, or entrepreneur who believes what they do can change the world, this podcast is dedicated to you. I'm Steve Werner, and welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show for monetization and brand strategy on the internet. My name is Steve Warner, and today I am joined by Mark Simpson. Mark used to work in medical. Kind of, kind of what you would think as like very logical, very clean, very spreadsheets. He worked in marketing and branding, but that led him to really interact with patients, and then from there, get into creativity. That's what he considers the most important thing and what he wants to explore. But I want him to start at the beginning because I want to know how he got from something that most people would consider dry and boring to creativity. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. It's so good to be here. And I love this title of you know words like impact and influence. I mean, isn't that why we're all in the game? I mean, if we're just punching out uh, the paper every day, you know, what what are we doing? So I think we're all aspiring to make some sort of impact. And, you know, when you say, where did it all begin? That That's what I was hoping to do in the medical and uh, healthcare and pharmaceutical fields is really help these companies bring innovation to medical treatments. Uh, certainly, I wasn't the scientist. I wasn't the researcher. I wasn't you know, back in the lab or the doctors testing the drugs. But I said, if I could help you take your ideas, communicate them better, brand them better, get the attention of people who needed and wanted these treatments, then that would be an impact that I could play. And that's, that's really the role I sought out. So I want to ask, I've always wanted to ask this, and I, it might be outside of your field, but you see the commercials on TV, right? For a drug mm -hmm. and people like frolicking on the beach and seagulls. <laughs> is is that what you did or is that outside of what you did? I, I have done those commercials. So there, there's the happy people at the picnic for sure. But uh, I've also done a lot of communication to the physicians, you know, to the pharmacists, to the healthcare uh, or health insurance companies that need to, you know, add these drugs to your uh, healthcare plan. So mm -hmm. I've, I've done all those levels of communication. And even today, I, I work with companies that do those patient outreach type communications. And I can't say that they're not effective, but I can say, I don't know why there's so many people frolicking on beaches. I don't know why there's so much dancing <laughs> for drugs for heart failure, you know, when people really can't uh, get out and, and be ambulatory that much. But I will say that there is a tremendous need and a gap between sort of what your doctor knows and what they will tell you and, you know, what you can see on TV and say, oh, I bet I can use the one that that famous rock and roll singer uses. Um, there's, there's a big gap in that. Got it. So, I mean, I love the, when we were talking before we came on the show, you were telling me that your heart really was in helping people connect. Like you were connecting with the patients, you would go to the doctors and you would talk to them about how they could interact with the patient care better. And that actually led to you 
kind of changing the medical field a little bit. So I'd love to hear about that because I think so many people think of big pharma and they immediately have a negative reaction, right? They're mm -hmm. like, hey, I don't know. Um, my sister works for, for Pfizer and Merck. Um, she's gone back and forth between the two. So I have a little bit of insider knowledge, but I'd love to hear your take on that because I think a lot of people back off from that and they're like, I don't know. And they have, I, I want you to humanize it a little bit for them because I think they're, you truly want to help people. That's why the drug companies exist. They just kind of get a bad rap. I know, I mean, of course they want to make money, but I'll let you talk to that a little bit because I think you have a very unique perspective. Yeah. And, and I don't want to wander off too far into, you know, uh, me being the communications uh, voice for the pharma industry. However, there, there is a lot of misunderstanding. I mean, it, it takes billions of dollars to, to develop a new product, a new drug, uh, because of all the clinical trials, because of all the FDA regulations. And I mean, there's, there's just a very high hurdle. And uh, I'm also working with companies to try to speed that up and trim that down. I mean, if, if you could shorten that time of development, because you can get patients in clinical trials faster, for example, uh, if you need 100 patients in a clinical trial, and it takes you two years to find them, look how slow that development process is. But if you can get that trial done in a year, well, then you've not only saved money, but you've saved a lot of time and you get the treatment out there faster. I guess the other part about the, the cost impression of pharmaceuticals is you don't really think about the alternatives. For example, I had a specialist once say, yes, th this drug, it, it might've been a thousand a month, which you look at and you go, that's crazy. He says, but on the other hand, the surgery and the post-surgery and the follow-up to the surgery and the other medications that have awful side effects, what if that cost you a hundred thousand dollars? you know, uh, for the same result. What if I could use this medication to prevent all those costs? So it's, it's really a hard story to tell sometimes, but that's really the, the basis of it. And I guess the other part that you're asking me is my involvement in bringing the patient's viewpoint to back to the companies. So I often held panels or focus groups or advisory boards of patients, half of which, you know, weren't even treated uh, they, they couldn't get to the right doctor. They haven't received the right diagnosis. And they said, I've been going to 12 different doctors for seven years trying to get my condition diagnosed. And wow. so when, when the companies hear these more heartfelt stories, I've had groups that have never met other people with their disease. They were rare diseases, so they never had a, a support group. They never had a doctor that understood it. And so when you're in a room with eight or 10 patients, many of which who have never met anyone else with their disease and are able to compare stories and lifestyles and hacks, you know, what do you do to, to take mm -hmm. care of things in your life? Um, it's just really meaningful. And, and that led me to what I'm doing today in terms of really helping patients express their stories better. Well, that's, I mean, that is really unique and it's definitely needed. Um, I definitely want people of the podcast to hear that. Like you, you're helping humanize the medical field, which is something I feel so many people think is kind of cold and, and not, you know, it's just big pharma sitting there. Yes. I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to hear how you got into the creativity work. Because that's really, I mean, my fine art background, 
Um, mm -hmm. Creative problem solving is a big thing that I do helping brands. So I would love to hear how you bring that, how, where that came from, because that's an interesting kind of pivot or side area to work on. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, if we dial the tape way back, you know, it just, I, I enjoyed music. I got a job as a DJ right out of college. I took journalism in school and I loved to write. And, and when I discovered that there was a vocation called a copywriter at an ad agency, I just thought, okay, that's a dream come true. You're writing ads, you're making commercials. I was writing jingles for Icy, uh, the frozen drink, you know, and uh, it's like, okay, this is my dream job. And then I never got out of it. I have never done anything else except write. Uh, and it, persuasive writing, communication writing, uh, presentation writing, you know, all sorts of things in between. And uh, so, that's, so that's the genesis of it. But I guess, Steve, on the creative side, over the years, to take courses, to work with mentors, to have advisors teach you the real sort of science and art of creativity, on the one hand, how the brain works, on the other, you know, how groups interact, how you work with partners to create things, you know, and how famous collaborators work together, uh, whole books on organizing the genius of teams and how famous teams along the way have created amazing breakthroughs. So I became a student of the creative process. And uh, that's, that's been really not only fulfilling, but then I've been able to create models of my own based on some of those learnings and then publish those myself. Awesome. So I want to, you just unpacked a bunch for me. So there's a lot in there. <laughs> well, I want to talk about copywriting a little bit. Um, so top three copywriters in your, in your thought process or that you've studied or mentors, I guess you could say. Sure. Well, the, the granddaddy of them all is David Ogilvy. And, uh, you know, his Ogilvy on advertising is the primer about what advertising is. Yes, I'm sure it's on the bookshelf. And then uh, a, a lesser known, but, but he was influential to me, it was John Caples, C-A-P-L-E-S. And he was sort of the father, again, of direct response advertising. So when you see an ad that's like, two pages of copy or these infomercials that we see today. Uh, long before there was set it and forget it, you know, <laughs> infomercials. Um, John Caples wrote this persuasive copy and was and it was designed to, when you send your self-addressed stamped envelope or when you sent your check in the mail to buy these products, uh, he knew what the formula would be. And again, I, I reference it even today. I mean, you can say it's old school, but that was the basis and, uh, you know, human behavior. Uh, really, you can still apply it today. All right. I mean, they're like Ogilvy on advertising classic. Yeah. You left and then I think I, I say Lee Clow, for example. Okay. Uh, he, he wrote all the Apple commercials, you know, going back to the 1984 commercial that was so famous, right up into the, uh, the Think Differently campaigns. He was the real uh, brains behind that and worked directly with Steve Jobs to create these campaigns. So it's amazing where a creative director, you know, a copywriter of his stature is literally in the room working with the CEO 
to try to express the brand vision in a very big way. Well, that's, I mean, that is the key, right? So a lot of people look at copywriting and they're like, well, that just gets people to do things. But if you're doing copy correctly, that's how you authentically and transparently get your brand, who you are across to the person. And ultimately you have to sell a product. If you're in business, you have to sell a product. And the best way to do it, great copy gets people to move forward without high pressure or without feeling bad. It gets them to do the thing that they want to do which I think is something a lot of people miss. I'm a big Gary Halbert fan. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's, he used to talk about that kind of stuff. He's, he's a little quirky. I love copywriters because they're quirky and they're strange and they're fun, but they know how to express themselves. Absolutely. And if you say, you know, uh, you, I work with clients and they're like, all we need to do is get the word out that this is better, faster, lasts longer. It's like, yeah, all we have to do is get the word out, except... <laughs> everybody's got this wall of suspicion, you know, in this uh, barrier of even if disbelief might be too strong. But in other words, I know you're trying to sell me something and it really can't be this good. Right. Well, I, mean, that's... I, I still laugh today at the picture, you know, uh, in Burger King commercials. Have, have you ever seen an actual Whopper look that good? No, no, they don't. They don't look like that when they come out of the <laughs> the <Right>. bag. <laughs> That's I mean. So so people have that up, but if you can say, and this is a formula that I've used, that's based on all of these guys. But if if you can connect with the audience, and then you can give an honest portrayal. Now I'm not saying it's not persuasive, but it is honest. Mm -hmm. You know, it's truthful, and then you can make it easy for people to understand, and then as you said, motivate them to move forward, not trick them, not you know sleaze them but motivate them. It's like, I need to have some of that, or at least I want to take the next step. I want to read about it. I want the 30 day trial offer, you know, whatever it is you have to offer. I want to read your 15 point guide. I mean, something that would say, I will take the next step, but it should be motivating, not pushing. I, I agree. I actually have a question that I'll, I'll pose. I'd love your thoughts on. We, um, Inside of marketing work that I do, I actually tell people it is better to give away something that you're not great at. Say your strengths and then be transparent and state a weakness because it actually builds more rapport because if you're perfect, 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 people are always like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. And if you just say like, these are the things that I'm great at, but the balance to that is I'm not very good at this. And just being transparent, I think a lot of people will lean forward and say, you know what, that guy's honest and I trust him, which is 90% of the sales process, right? Mm -hmm. I like them, I trust them, and I believe that he can do what he says he does. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. And I guess that falls under my uh, point of honesty, uh, that you do need some rapport and connection you know, let's imagine it, whether it's a personal sales call or a internet, you know, video ad, um, you, you need that connection. But in the end, the trust is why should I exchange money with you? Why should I buy anything from you? Uh, but you mentioned these TV commercials for pharmaceuticals, you know, every one of them says, you know, well, it may cause nausea, it may cause vomiting, it may cause diarrhea and headaches and who knows what else, uh, I, all the way to there, there are people who have died on this uh, treatment. So there, there has to be what, what the FDA calls fair balance. 
but I think we could all borrow that term and say, are you giving a fair balance to your sales pitch? Okay, you've improved efficiency and whatever, 80%. Okay, fantastic. Now, on the other hand, you know, so if you have a light bulb that lasts nine, nine years, well, that's fantastic. And I, I think about this all the time when I see these packages. I just changed this light bulb and it was called a lifetime light bulb. I want my money back. That's um, I've, <laughs> I want a I prorated <laughs> refund. Well, that's I, I read Amazon reviews for fun sometimes. Like there are some yes, really, really it's good, good stuff. <laughs> but they, the, you actually like the lifetime light bulb. I'm like, you lasted like three months and you say, yeah, like eight years, 10 years. It's like, yes. Yeah. So, now, but again, they had the little asterisk and it said under normal use, you know, two hours a day. It's like, well, I leave the light on all day. Right. So, but still, I don't know what lifetime should have meant. <laughs> right. Lifetime movie. Right. It's entertaining. <laughs> That's um, right. I would love to circle back to creativity a little bit because I think creativity, um, one of one of the things that I read in college and I ended up writing a paper on was that true income comes from being creative, creatively solving problems. Anyone can be taught to do a task, right? Whether that is working in a factory or whether that is... I wouldn't say in the case of a doctor, but maybe in the case of a nurse, like you're taking care of somebody, you're doing a routine pattern, but where income comes into play or where problem solving comes into play, I guess where income comes into play is problem solving and problem solving requires creativity. The more creatively you can come up with new ways to do things, new ways to solve problems, new ways to affect the world around you for good directly correlates to income. And I, I said the, it's very hard to, the thesis of the paper was it's very hard to learn creativity and you actually need the arts. That's the best way to do that is through artistic expression, whether it's painting or ceramics or something that gets the brain to work in a different way. I would love to hear your thoughts on this though, because you're, this is your field. You brought creativity to <laughs> something that is very dry and spreadsheets. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that because it's really interesting to me that that's the field where that you blossomed from. Yes. Well, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, at the very base, you're saying, can I get my brain to function in some other way and, you know, get the chemicals flow in a different way or get the synapses firing a whole different way. But I'll add to that and say, there's a brain behavior that we can drive. You can say, well, I'm not very creative. Well, if you mean you're not very good at poetry or you're not very good at drawing, okay, well, you can practice. That is a skill that you could practice and get better. But if you just mean I keep doing and thinking the same way, there are simple techniques. Now, one, one of my mentors and favorite uh, creative experts is Edward de Bono. And Edward de Bono has a variety of models, but the one that's impacted me the most is called the six action shoes. And without going into the whole theory behind why it's called shoes and everything, but the, the idea is that shoes are action. You're walking, you're moving uh, to do something. And so you're taking action. And uh, the basis is that you need a diversity of thinking processes and action avenues. So you mentioned a nurse. I always follow the protocol. I always have these steps. Well, that is one way of acting. There's five more. 
So you should employ a different way every now and then. So the second is that you should, you know, there is a, you know, when there's a crisis, you know, when there's a fire alarm or when there's an emergency or a tight deadline, somebody else in the group often steps up in a way you never expected them to, because all of a sudden they have a, whatever it takes, we're going to get this done action mentality. And so every now and then you need to employ that avenue. Sometimes you need to think more about the people. Sometimes you think more about the data. So when data and people collide, you know, how are you going to reconcile those two? Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, there's the devil's advocate. We all know this person in the meeting that says, if I could, I just want to be the devil's advocate. Well, that's good. But in the first five minutes, we're not really looking for the devil's advocate. If you could just save that till 45 after the hour <laughs> instead of five after the hour. So, you know, you can think about being a devil's advocate and look for the potholes and the contingency thinking. And we, we need those people. And then I guess the, the very last step is to think about the leadership. Who in this room is going to guide and direct? So all of those different creative modalities you know, require a different part of your thinking process, which is why I love groups, because you're going to have some of those in a group. But even if you're by yourself, you can say, I need to think about this differently. So let me, sometimes I just literally draw a straw out of a hat and say, I'm going to think about it this way for a minute, just well, to break your brain. Well, that leads really nicely into, into where I'm going with this i think like if somebody's listening to this and they're like i'm not very creative i can't write poetry i can't draw but i also like i'm very routine right i think a lot of people wouldn't say that they'd say no i'm creative but if you're listening to this and you would like to be more creative what are some of your top ways to get the brain firing differently because i know I've read studies where as you get older we you can't teach an old dog new tricks right or you can i like to say you can I think you definitely can. How do you, what are some ways that you can get people to be more creative? What are some simple things that they can build into their life? And what, what do you see as the results from that? Let's start mm -hmm. with a couple things that they can maybe do to add creativity, to be a little more creative in their problem solving or in their life. Yeah. And, and I think there are some of these tips and techniques, but I, I just interviewed somebody on my podcast the other day. Uh, my podcast is unlocking your world of creativity. So I asked people how they unlock some of these blocks, like you're saying. And, and the first is just to think about your brain and your creativity as a muscle rather than something you were born with. Like, well, I, I have blue eyes. I can't do anything about that or I'm a Leo, I'm sorry, that's just the way I am. Uh, there is more of a skill and a method and a muscle to your brain than you think, and it can be trained. So the very simple things are, you know, say you drive to work the same way every day and you eat the same thing for breakfast every day and you, you know, take a walk the same route every day, just, just go a different way. And I know it sounds so simple and oftentimes it's cliche, but I got to tell you, you're going to drive to work a different way one day, or you're going to go to your you know, friend's house a different way, and you're going to see something, if you're observant and mindful of it, you're going to see something that's going to either give you an idea, spark a thought, what have you. The second thing is, it comes back to what I was saying about talking and working with patients. Call a customer. Call 
uh, prospect, call another business owner, call somebody today that you are not one of those five people you spend all your time with, you know, get out of your own little circle and say, what's going on? You know, have a coffee, either real or virtual with somebody outside your group and, uh, and then have your antenna up to listen to some new ideas. So I think, again, I, we, we both brought up, you know, poetry and drawing and art and all these other things that people think, well, that's creativity or somebody wants to write a book. Well, I'm not that creative. I'm not really a writer. Well, you know what? Start writing. The, get your ideas out on paper. You can edit them later. I always get a dictaphone and I'm a writer and I, I have trouble starting sometimes. So I get a audio app. I get my notes app. I, you know, go on rev.com and talk to it and then it transcribes it. And then I have, you know, something that I've started. So get started. So I guess to summarize, take some action to get off your beaten path uh, to break a routine. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I know people like you might be thinking, well, I'm driving a different way to work. I'm in a hurry. Like people say, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then they fall into a routine, right? And the idea is to break that routine because it will cause your brain to fire differently and it will cause something new, which is mm -hmm. the whole idea, right? Walk around the block a different way, like make your food a different way, do something slightly different. Routines are... I read a study that said, you know, 80% of what we do in life, probably closer to 90 is routine, right? We get in a routine in our home, how we brush our teeth, how we get ready for bed, how we, how we do things. And we find that comforting and our mind has to do that because otherwise we would constantly be thinking new things and we wouldn't get as much done. But to your point, when you become creative, it unlocks your brain starts you moving forward. So I'd love to talk about what are the positive sides of being more creative? I don't think there's a negative side other than it might take a little bit longer, but how, what do you see as positive outcomes for being more creative? Well, there's, there's a lot of outcomes that I'll get to. There is a negative uh, under the fair balance. Sometimes you can't shut it off. I'll be driving down the street with my wife. I'm commenting on the billboards. I'm commenting on somebody's, you know, uh, layout of their building, you know, whatever the case might be. And she's like, can we just like listen to the radio? <laughs> so if you can't turn your creativity off, then your, uh, your companions might uh, have a comment. Anyhow, no, the positive benefits are, uh, listen, I think you'll have a lot more uh, stimulation, you know, the, the boredom of the routine. And if you say I'm getting stuck, I mean, have we all been stuck in the mud literally in our cars? And what do they tell you that is the worst thing to do is to just press the gas and keep spinning the wheels. You're only making the rut deeper. You're not going to get out of the mud. So you got to turn the wheel to get out of the snowbank, or you got to turn the wheel to, you know, get out of what you're stuck in. And uh, so that that's the first thing is that you will feel like you're doing and, and trying new things. And that often can get you unstuck in a lot of other areas of your life. Um, because what if you did call that customer or what if you did call that other business owner and some new client opportunity comes about? Well, then you've made an impact for yourself and for them. Um, I think the other is you start seeing opportunities to serve rather than sell. And I know that, you know, 
a lot of listeners of podcasts like uh, the one we're talking about here are like how to sell more. I get it. You want to grow your business more. But I think we also have this other mission. And that is how can we serve more? And uh, so many people are looking for that. And I think a positive outcome of creativity is you will see more of those opportunities. Nice. I would agree. I think getting like, just like you said, if you're stuck over here, let's say your relationship isn't quite where you want it to be. Stop focusing just on the relationship and do something different over here. And it will shift your entire life because your brain will start thinking about things differently. Like it brain's fascinating, right? Like it fires <laughs> neutrons and <laughs> all kinds of sideways fashions and weird things pop out over here. So if somebody is like, okay, I would love to be more creative. I love the idea of driving a different way to work or writing or doing something, but it sounds good, but I don't have time for it. Or I sit down to do it and I end up doing something different. Do you have a way to move beyond? Because I know like it's the same way as going to the gym, right? I want to go to the gym. I want to go to the gym. I want the outcome of going to the gym, but it's hard. Do you have a tip, a trick, a resource, anything that you would give them that they could use that five minutes a day? Yeah, well, or, and here's something. Uh, don't don't add any time. It, it doesn't take any more time. So you're going to sit down to eat breakfast anyway, Okay. You can eat the same bowl of cereal and the same piece of toast that you always eat. That's fine. Or you can say, you know what? Today, I think I'll scramble an egg. Today, I'll put something else in the egg. If I scramble an egg every day, today, I'll put some peppers in it. Who knows? So it, the littlest thing will just break that path. You're going to go to the grocery store anyway. Okay. Buy a different brand of whatever. At least look at the other brands, you know. I, I do this in workshops all the time. It's like, name a brand of soup. Campbell's. Well, of course, Campbell's. Name another one. Uh, oh, yeah, there is that other one. Uh, Progresso. <laughs> okay, good. Now name a third. Can't do it. You know? And so we, you got to look at the whole shelf, maybe. You're in the store anyway. Go down a different aisle. Just take a second. You know, just take a second. So I would love to talk, you've written six books, is that correct? Yes, yes. And I would love to talk a little bit about some of the books. Um, the, uh, the World of Creativity is the one that I see at the top, but you have several different books there. Like, talk to us a little bit about, write, you said you love to write, so you sit down yes. and you write books. Um, talk to us a little bit about the books. Yeah, so I'll start with World of Creativity because of the way it was put together. Uh, it is a series of interviews uh, derived from uh, the first few interviews I did on a podcast. And I was able to talk to these creative experts literally around the world about their creative process, about what, how they apply creativity, and then uh, took those interviews, you know, clearly edited them and cleaned them up and so forth, but then made it a collection and then interspersed it with some other uh, creative resources that I think people will enjoy. So that that's the basis of, you know, it's, it's the world because it's global and it's creativity because there's a lot of global, you know, uh, umbrella ideas that we could derive from. Some of the other books like uh, Customer Chemistry, uh, Forward Fast Branding, Innovate, uh, Creative Groups, all of these are summaries of the models and tools that I've used in my practice. Uh, to facilitate groups, to develop brand strategy, 
you know, and to talk about sales and sales chemistry and relationship building. Excellent. I mean, if we had time, I would love to get into the focus groups. Um, just because I think that that's a really interesting thing. I mean, we've done in workshops that I've held, we've done like the corporate, you know, breakout rooms and get them to think creatively about a problem to try to come up with new ideas. But your focus groups, I think would be completely different because it's more focused on telling a heartfelt story, getting people to connect with others. Um, yeah. If you want and to speak to that, I'd love well, to. Well, absolutely. And, and again, Boy, I can tell you, if you want, uh, it does take time. So I was sensitive to your question about, you know, how to develop your creativity. Uh, but the time invested in true focus groups and customer feedback groups, um, and, and not the kind of user group where I'm here to show you my PowerPoint and I'm here to tell you how to use my product. That, that That's a training, <laughs> you know, that's a webinar. So do those, that's fine. But I'm talking about the, where you, drop the hockey puck of questions in the middle of the table, and then you sit back and listen. And they may not have all glowing things to say about what you're doing. And they may give you some ideas that you go, well, I can't afford that or I can't do it. But you don't tell them and shut it down. You say, I want your input. I want your feedback. Tell it like it is. How do you use this product? What part of your day? If you weren't using my product, who would you use? If you didn't buy my product, why didn't you buy it? I mean, these, these are questions that are going to just really rattle you in a good way. Well, that's so if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know if I can ask those questions, it, having not getting defensive and being able to take objective, clean feedback and actually serve people. One is the best way to get your brand, your product, your service stronger, faster. But it's also, I mean, it's also like the, that is where growth comes from. Like it's the best market research that you could do. Uh, do you, do you have like, this is off the topic of creativity, but <laughs> somebody listening that is like, man, I would love to do something like that. Do you have a skill set that you could share with them that helps them to be honest and open to receiving the feedback. Well, so it, I always tell people, don't be defensive, but it's so it's such yeah. a snap judgment. Oh, right? it's really hard. Well, the, the first uh, suggestion I would do is you don't have to do it yourself. And so again, if you go in the room, they might not even tell you. Not because they're not being honest, because they don't want to hurt your feelings or, you know, they, they're just, hey, I already know you or I know you're the CEO of the company. So I don't want to say anything bad about, you know, right. my sales rep right in front of you. Um, but on the, so get a third party and in every town, big or small, there's somebody who does market research. And so if you want a facilitator uh, to do this independently, then that is also a benefit. So again, you, you can invest $50, you could invest $50,000 in this formal kind of market research, but at any cost, you know, take six customers to lunch and, yeah. and listen. <laughs> That's you know. just listening, just saying, I'm not, I think you just, I just tell myself, I'm not going to be defensive. I'm going to listen to what they say. I'm going to do my best to put myself in their shoes mm -hmm. and just listen. Um, I'm not going to rebuttal. I'm not going to say, well, that's not what we were trying to do or, yeah. it, it, and it, it was a practice. I mean, it took me years to, to get to the point where it just doesn't bother me at all. Like, no, 
And then I often, you know, you, you can segment that listening and you develop your questions around three areas, the knowledge, their attitude, and their practice or their usage of your product. And so knowledge, what do they know about you? And you go, well, no wonder they're not using more. They don't even know we do this. So that, that's going to be feedback to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second would be attitude. It's like, hey, they really like us. That's fine. But they're not seeing us as a trusted advisor. You know, we're, we're still in transaction land. We, we haven't moved up the pyramid yet. And then that third is usage. You know, sure, I buy your product. I, you know, maybe once or twice a year. Once or twice a year, you should be doing this monthly. You know, so, but, and you don't have to say that at the lunch or at the, in the focus group, but it's coming back to you. It's like, well, no wonder, you know, right. So, well, Mark, it has been great having you on. If people would like to find you, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah. Well, the website, uh, mark-stinson.com, it has the books you've just been talking about. It describes some of the uh, classes and workshops and things. And there's even a, a booking calendar, or if you'd like to be on my podcast, perhaps, uh, and share your views of creativity, there's a place for you to uh, offer yourself for that. But all, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, interestingly enough, my handle, when I signed up for LinkedIn, like when they started, I think, uh, it's Stinson Mark. There must have been another Mark Stinson at the time. So just flip my name and that's my uh, LinkedIn handle. But I would love to connect with your listeners. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on. To all of you out there listening, make sure that you implement some of these. Become more creative. Drive a different way to work. Cook something different for breakfast. Get your brain firing on all cylinders. And until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We will see you soon. Nothing has the ability to grow your business more than a powerful one-to-many sales presentation. If you're looking to scale your business, get your message out to more people and close more sales in an easy and straightforward manner, head over to deathtobadwebinars.com and grab your free course today. Thanks for tuning into the show and we'll see you next time.